Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 4. The Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 4. Mother's Day sermons are not always easy to preach. Congregation, no matter how large or how small, can have in it women from all walks of life and from vastly different backgrounds. Some women have children, others do not. Some women provide the best for their children. Others are nothing more than custodians for their children until the time they leave home. Some remember their mother with great love and affection. Others could care less that they even have a mother. Some grieve over the death of their mother. Others give no thought to the estrangement they have with their mother who still lives. It would be easy to think of a Mother's Day sermon as just another exercise in sermons We schedule for our calendar with nothing important, nothing meaningful, nothing challenging to say that would make any difference to those who hear it. But the task of the pastor is to encourage people to be the best that they can be in Christ Jesus. And on Mother's Day... It becomes our task to encourage the women of the church to be the best that they can be in their home. That is our first responsibility. And I'm not saying that is your first responsibility. That is our first responsibility. Before all other institutions among men were created or developed, God created the home. And the home became the first responsibility of the man and the woman. Those of you who have known me for any length of time know that my mother... was and still is very dear and very precious to me. She was a woman of great faith, of love for the Lord, and of commitment to her family. My father was the head of the house, but my mother was the anchor of our home.
Dad provided for our general welfare. But my mother saw to it that her first priority was our spiritual welfare. She was to me and to David and to my sister Marianne, to my older brother Ronnie, and now my brother Bill, who's gone on to be with the Lord. She was to us what Eunice and Lois were to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. You also know that I am a fan of the Old Testament. Not that I don't appreciate the New Testament, but the Old Testament teaches us practically what the New Testament teaches us theologically. The Old Testament teaches us practically what the New Testament teaches us theologically. Most of us have a more practical than theological bent in life. In other words, I find people more interested in the how-to than in the why or what of the Christian life. So I want to today draw your attention to a woman in the Old Testament who demonstrated some of the more practical aspects of biblical motherhood. Now some of us who have children, our children have grown up and are adults and have children of their own. But the woman we're going to look at has something to teach all of us. All mothers. Whether you have children at home or children that have homes of their own. She has something to teach fathers who have children at home or children who are out of the nest and are living their own lives in their own families. It has something to say to grandparents. It has something to say to anyone who is a custodian or has substantial influence over children. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul to Titus, where he wrote in the text that the older men are to influence and teach the younger men, and the older women are to have influence over and to teach the younger woman, women how to be chaste, how to be respectful, how to live in the home, caring for the children, taking care of business in the home life. And so even though we're going to be looking at a woman this morning and a mother, the practical aspects of her faith apply to all of us. And we can learn from this woman how to teach the younger women in the church, the younger fathers in the church, how to raise their kids, how to 
honor the home life, how to love one another and care for one another as God intended us to in that first institution of men, and that is the home. In 2 Kings chapter 4, stand with me in honor of God's word if you will please. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go. Borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. We could spend hours talking about this mother and her life and her faith. But we don't have hours to do that, so let me kind of give you a summary of the important points that we need to draw from this text. Know, first of all, that this was a mother who had Practical faith. Practical faith. A faith that was not necessarily theological, not necessarily doctrinal, but a faith that was serious, a faith that was genuine, a faith that was real. Knowledge without application is useless. You've heard me say that time and time again, but it bears repeating. Knowledge without application is useless. And I've also told you that in the years of my education, which number about a thousand now, I've studied uh, the Bible Old Testament, New Testament, theology, church history, Greek, Hebrew, Latin. I've studied everything there is to study about the scriptures. And I've had some marvelous professors who have taught me wonderful things uh, in the scriptures. But I've also had some professors who were intellectual idiots. They were very smart but they didn't know what to do with their smarts. All they could do was just turn around and teach. 
Many of them lacked, I just shouldn't say many of them, a number of them lacked practical application of the knowledge that they had. Knowledge without application is useless. Theology without practical application doesn't lead to spiritual growth and development. Theology is not just a discipline in putting together the great themes of Scripture. Theology must be practical. If theology is not practical, it will not lead to spiritual growth and development. You can read all about faith in the Bible. You can memorize Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter of the Bible. You can read it, you can memorize it, you can recite it daily. But if you do not put into practice what the Bible says about faith, if you do not put into practice the examples of faith given to us in Hebrews chapter 11, your faith will be stunted and have little, if any, impact in your life. Well, you may be able to tell other individuals what the Bible says about faith, but if you don't put it into practice in your own life, you'll have no real understanding of what faith is all about. The lesson that we're going to learn from this story is this, and understand the message of the text. God's, God keeps on giving himself as long as we continue to bring to him that into which he can pour himself. Let me say that again. God keeps on giving himself as long as we continue to bring to him that into which he can pour himself. When we stop bringing, he stops giving. And that will become very, very evident as we consider the experience of this woman. A couple of things as we get into the text. First of all, we don't know anything about this woman other than what's given, a, in, given to us in these verses. She's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. We don't know her name. We don't know the name of her husband. We don't know the names of her sons. We don't know the names of her ancestors. We don't know the names of her friends. We don't know her age. We do not know the condition of her physical health. She could be any woman. She could be you, if you're a woman. What we do know is that her husband was a preacher. Scripture tells us that he was one of the sons of the prophets. We could say today that he was a seminary student. And like many seminary students and preachers, he was poor, given the times that he lived in. 
We know that her husband had died and that she did not benefit from the Leverite vow. For whatever reason, we don't know. It's not given to us in Scripture. But there was no support system for her after her husband died. And that left her as a poor widow in debt with little means and her creditor was calling in her loan. Mosaic law prohibited her from declaring bankruptcy and the patriarchal culture of the day frowned upon women holding jobs. Mosaic law gave her creditor the right to demand her and her children to serve him as slaves until the debts owed to him were paid or until the, the year of Jubilee when they were set free from servitude. But selling her children into slavery to pay off the family debt was not an option for this mother. There had to be another way to deal with her situation. So, what should she do? Given the culture that she lived in, given the laws that she was subject to, given her personal situation, what was she to do? What would you do? What would you do? We're subject to laws today that sometimes put people at a disadvantage. We're subject to cultural mores that oftentimes look askance at us if we're unable to fulfill some of our responsibilities and our obligations. Not everybody turns a blind eye to our inabilities to live responsibly. But if you were in a situation like this young mother who had two sons at home, or if you were a single father and you had children at home, and you were in such a situation where you were head over heels in debt and you had no resources with which to pay off those debts, and the bank was knocking on your door, calling in your loans, what would you do? Well, the scripture tells us what this woman did. There are seven things in these seven verses that give us an understanding of how a person of faith, a woman of faith, a mother of faith, a father of faith, a man of faith, can put that faith into practice in his or her life in order to be the responsible parent in the home that God called them to be. First of all, she went to the prophet and told him her situation. Look at verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. The first thing that she did, she went to the preacher. She went to the preacher. Now understand that in those days, the prophet was the spokesman of God. 
He was the spokesman of God. Not all prophets were the voice of God in Israel. There were false prophets in those days, just like there are false prophets and false preachers and false teachers today. You can have a preacher who's nothing more than a religious orator who will speak platitudes and give you uh, super, surface superficial thoughts, running commentary, if you will, on texts out of the Scripture. But the prophet in the days in which this woman lived and the true preachers of the Lord God today are individuals who speak from the Scriptures the truth of God into the lives of the people who hear them. They speak the truth of God from the Word of God into the lives of those who hear them. Elisha was the main prophet in that day and time and he was acknowledged by the people as being a man of God who spoke the Word of God to the people of God. And when there were problems, when there were issues, when there were situations that they could not figure it out, they went to the preacher, they went to the prophet, and asked him, what does the Lord have to say about the situation that I am in? I know of a church, not a thousand years ago or a million miles away, that was without a pastor. The pastor search committee had asked a man to come as a candidate for that position. I was in the church when that man came. And he preached a wonderful sermon that Sunday morning. But when the church met with him that afternoon to ask him about becoming the pastor of the church, he said clearly... And he said, matter-of-factly, quote, I will not visit you unless you're in the hospital or have had a death in the family. I will not counsel you on personal or family matters. I will not be a teacher in the educational program of the church or be the administrator of the church. I will preach to you and I will help you evangelize the community, and that's all I will do as your pastor. Well, he didn't become pastor of the church because the church was not interested in a public orator. They were interested in a man of God who would be a pastor to the people of God. He was a good preacher, but he was unapproachable. Elisha was a prophet who spoke God's truth into the lives of God's people. And so this mother came to the preacher, came to the prophet with a serious matter in her family. 
And in doing so, she brought her situation before the Lord. To bring this before the man of God is to bring it before the Lord. It was her first option, and I emphasize that, and I'll emphasize it again. It was her first option in dealing with the crisis in her family to bring that situation before the Lord God. It was her first option as a mother because it was her first responsibility to her family. She sought the advice of no one else first until she had first heard from the Lord. Second, when she brought the situation before the Lord, she was upfront and honest. She was upfront and honest. Look, verses 1 and 2. Certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And a creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. She understood that when you speak to the prophet of God, you're speaking to God. And you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. She understood that if the situation was going to be dealt with properly by the man of God, then she needed to be honest with the man of God. And so what did she say? She said, one of your students, my husband, is dead. You knew him to be a godly and responsible man. Now we're in debt because my husband is dead and we can't pay our bills. And the creditor is coming to take my kids and to make them slaves in order to pay the debt. What am I going to do? The prophet said, what do you want me to do? Now, he wasn't being condescending here. And he wasn't asking this question in a cursory matter. He was genuinely concerned about the situation. In other words, he didn't answer the question, well, what do you want me to do? In other words, hey, lady, that's your problem. You deal with it. No. He was genuinely concerned about the situation of this young widow who had two children at home. And so what he was asking her to do is basically this. Sit down with me and let's try to figure this thing out. What do you want me to do? How can I help? How can we address this situation? How can we approach what's going on in your life and in the life of your family so that we can help you over this critical situation? But she didn't have any answer. She didn't know what to do. And so the prophet asked, What resources do you have? It's like God who, who spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai from the burning bush. And God told Moses he wanted Moses to go down into Egypt. And Moses was a was a wanted man. down there. He had killed an Egyptian, and so there was a bounty on the head of Moses. And it had been 40 years, but you know, what are the statutes of limitations on killing? You know? 
And so God said, I want you to go down into Egypt and I want you to secure the release of my people from slavery. Moses said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, time out. Let's back up a little bit. Let's, let's think this through. And Moses began to explain or he began to share with God all of the reasons why he couldn't do what God was asking him to do. And I am sure that Moses was being honest. He had a speech impediment. He was a stutter. And you can't stand before the king of the world and, and sit there and just you know stutter, stutter, stutter and mess up the message while you're trying to secure the release of the people. You just can't do that. And he was, had been a shepherd. And yeah, he had been raised in Pharaoh's house for 40 years and all of these other kinds of things. But life has changed. Things are different now. I just can't go waltzing down into the palace of the Pharaoh and demand the release of two and a half million slaves that the entire economy of the Egyptian empire rested upon those slaves. I just can't do that. And besides... I'm a shepherd. I don't have an army. I don't have a chariot. I don't have a, you know, all that is necessary to go down and to secure the release of the Hebrew people. And God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? I have a shepherd's staff. And God basically said, that's all you need. That's all you need. Because you're not going to secure the release of the Hebrew people. I'm going to secure the release of the Hebrew people through you. And if we could only understand that concept of faith, my friends, God is not going to ask you or me to do anything that we cannot do apart from Him. But He will ask us to do all that we can do, relying upon Him to do it through us. What do you have in your hand? And the prophet said to this mother, what resources do you have? And she was honest. We don't have anything in our home but a small jar of oil. Now understand that this jar of oil uh, wasn't a whole lot. It was used for medicinal purposes. It was used as a salve for sunburns. It was used when a person was cut uh, or somehow injured, it was used to pour upon that wound to try to help it heal. There wasn't a lot of it, but it was very important and very precious to them. All we have, she said, is a little bit of oil. She was upfront. She was honest. I can't count the times... And those of you who are counselors will know this yourselves. I can't count the times that I've had people call me for counsel on a particular issue. And when we sat down to talk about the issue, they would spend 30 minutes or more beating around the bush with superficial conversation before they ever got down to the real reason why they wanted to see me. Now, it may have been that they were nervous and they were trying to calm themselves down by talking about the weather. Or maybe they were embarrassed because they really didn't, you know, they wanted to kind of warm up to it before they revealed to me what it was, the seriousness and the embarrassing situation that they may have been in. Or it may have been because they didn't trust me and so they were going to give me some test questions at the very beginning to see if I was capable of helping them with the situation. I don't know. 
But when this woman went to the preacher, she was upfront with him and she was honest with him. She got right to the point without beating around the bush. Sometimes I wonder if God gets bored when we come to him in prayer because we spend so much time talking about everything else under the sun than what's really on our heart. Now, if God really knows the things that we need before we ask Him, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 8, if God really knows the things that we have need of before we ask Him, then why not when we come before the Lord in prayer, why not just get down to brass tacks and talk to the Lord about what's on our heart? This distressed mother went to the prophet and was painfully honest with him concerning her burden, which brings me to the third point, and that is she obeyed what the prophet told her because she understood that this man of God spoke the word of God. Look at verse, verses 3 through 5. Then he said, Go. Borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour in it all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured, she poured it out. The prophet told her what to do. And she did what the prophet told her to do. Now, I am sure, even though it's not stated here in the text, she did not voice any opposition or incredulity toward the prophet, but I'm sure she thought in her mind, Are you crazy? I only have a little bit of oil, and you're telling me to borrow all kinds of pots and vessels, empty pots and vessels from my friends and from my neighbors, and to pour the oil into all of them until they're all full? But beloved, that's what faith is. Huh? That's what faith is. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is the practical application of God's Word. It is obedience to the truth that God has spoken. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And verse... No, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Not Hebrews 1, but Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Well, what in the world does that mean? For most people who are not theologically trained, who are not trained in the biblical languages, you could read a passage like that and you could scratch your head and say, I don't get it. I don't understand. What's that all about? That's what it says theologically. 
But what does it mean practically? How do you put a verse like that into practice? You may have a theological definition of faith, but what's the practical application of that theological definition? Well, the apostle understood that because for the rest of the chapter he explained to the readers what that meant and how that was to be applied into the life practically. In verse 4, first and foremost, it is to worship God as God commands us to worship Him. In verse 5, it means to live in daily fellowship with God. In verse 7, it means to obey God in what He would have you do, no matter how impossible it may sound to you. These are practical applications of this first verse. In verse 8, it means to obey God and go where He would have you to go, even though you don't know where that is. In verse 17, it means to give God what He asks, even if it costs you everything. In verses 20 and 21, it means to bless others in the name of the Lord, even though you may not think they're worthy of the blessing. In verse 22, it means to plan ahead in life and in death that God will be honored in those plans. In verse 23, it means to obey God rather than men, even kings, presidents, and dictators. And I could go on and on and on, but you get the picture. These are the practical applications of faith. The prophet told her to do what the Lord wanted her to do with that oil. But his instructions to her were beyond belief. They were impossible. And yet, she obeyed him to the letter because she believed that he spoke the word of God. Now, Earlier in the life of Israel, you'll recall, in the book of Joshua, Moses was dead. Joshua was mourning the loss of his father in the faith, his mentor. God said, dry up your tears, get on your sandals, and get ready to move the people across the Jordan River. He gave them instructions on what they were to do in preparation for crossing the Jordan River. And they obeyed the Lord and crossed the river. Now they were in the promised land and they were about a mile, mile and a half outside the city walls of Jericho. And this is going to be the first test of faith. We're going to face the first city that we're to conquer. Now, how are we going to do it? And I'm sure the generals of Israel's army gathered in Joshua's tent and they were looking to him for the battle plan, the strategy in which they were going to take the city of Jericho. And what does Joshua do? He goes to the Lord. And the Lord tells him what they're going to do. You're going to get all of the fighting men, age 20 years and older. You're going to leave all of your weapons of battle in your tents. We're going to get the preachers. And they're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant in front of you men. And you're going to walk around the city walls. And this was a fairly large city, so it took a little while for them to walk around the city wall. On the outside, you're going to walk around the city walls once, and then you're going to go back to your tent. You're not going to talk. You're not going to yell. You're not going to scream. You're not going to threaten. You're going to walk silently behind the preachers, and you're then you're going to go back to the tent. 
And you're going to do this for seven days. And on the seventh day, you're going to do the same thing, but you're going to walk around it seven times, and the city walls are going to fall. And so Joshua goes back to his tent, and the generals are there, and he gave them the battle plan. And their jaws hit the floor. We're going to do what? What kind of battle plan is that? How are we going to fight against the people behind a wall that's 70 feet high? And they're going to be throwing rocks at us, and they're going to be spitting on us, and they're going to be yelling at us and cursing us, and, and all kind. And we're just going to stay silent. We're not going to do anything. Yep, that's right. And all we're going to do is walk around with no defenses because our armament's going to be in the tent. Yep, that's right. And we're going to let the preachers go in front of us. Yep, that's right. But you see, God, God has a way of accomplishing in and through us what we are unable to accomplish ourselves. This was God's plan. And God was going to ensure its success. This was the word of God to this young mother. You do what God tells you to do, and everything's going to be okay. Fourth, after going to the Lord first and hearing what he had to say, then she went out and asked her friends for help. Verse 3 explains that to us. She went to the Lord first, and the Lord said it was okay to then enlist your friends to help in this situation. Fifth, she gave the Lord what she had. All that she had. She gave the Lord what she had. All that she had. She didn't give him a little bit. She didn't cut the cruise of oil in half and say, all right, this is for the Lord and this is for us, just in case. She gave the Lord what she had, all that she had. You see that in verse 4. When God instructs you on what it is He wants you to do, then you do what the Lord instructs you to do. You get busy working it out in your life. Because that's, again, that's what faith is. It is practical. It is not theoretical. It is not theological. It is practical. And I want you to note here, in this woman's response, there's no debate. There are no questions. There's no plan B. She heard the instruction of the Lord through the prophet, and she went home, and she obeyed. Sixth, and I love this. I think apart from going to the Lord first, number six is number two. She got the family involved. She got the family involved. Look at verses five and six again. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. She got the family involved. This was a family issue, so they worked together as a family to resolve the issue. Mom took the lead. 
And the kids became the support staff. You're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And this is the counsel we not only need to follow ourselves, but we also need to counsel other people in this. Bringing your kids to church and dropping them off while you go do your own thing is an ungodly practice. It is an ungodly practice. Yeah, your kids are going to hear some things and they may learn some things. But God did not call the family the first institution of His government only to have the family divided over Him. It is an ungodly practice for you or for any other parent to go to a church, drop their kids off, and then go do what it is that they want to do. When we do that, we're teaching our children that Bible study and worship are for children and old people who have nothing better to do. That's exactly what we're telling our kids. And I've heard this. I've heard this from families who've come in or from parents who've come in and said, well, we took our kids to church. Did you go with them? No, we, went to, we took our kids to church. They went to Sunday school and so on and so forth, blah, blah, blah. But now they don't want to go to church. Why? Did you go to church with them? Well, no. Well, then don't gripe and complain. It's a no-brainer. Our kids look at us to not only hear what we have to say, but also to see the examples that we set before them. They learn from our words and our examples. And when we drop them off to church and go do our thing, we're telling them, God is not important to me. And so when they become at age when they can make their own decisions, then they can say, well, God is not important to me either. A second beef I have is for moms and dads to get involved serving the Lord, but not allowing their kids to serve with them. Not allowing their children to serve with them. It teaches our children that serving the Lord is for adults and professionals only. When I was a child, my dad was a deacon, my mom was a Sunday school teacher in the church back in evening shade. And when my dad and mom would go out on visitation, we'd go out with them. When mom and dad would go out to talk to people about faith in the Lord, when talk to people about Jesus Christ, we'd go with them. I remember mom would go to teachers conferences, state teachers conferences on Bible study and new curriculum and so on and so forth. And sometimes uh, the, 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 the conference was an hour or two hours away from where we lived and she'd tote us kids along with her. Ministry involves the family. And if you want the family to grow in faith and in service to the Lord, then include them in the practical aspects of your faith and service in the Lord. This mother got the kids involved in solving 
the issue. This was a desperate woman and mother. Her children were not responsible for the family debts, but they would not be sacrificed in paying off the family debts if she didn't take action. She went to the Lord. She was upfront and honest with the Lord concerning the situation. The Lord told her what to do. She went home and she did exactly what the Lord told her to do. She allowed the friends and the neighbors to help. She gave the Lord all that she had in order to resolve the indebtedness and she got the kids involved in working out the family issue. Seventh and finally, she reported back to the prophet. Notice this in verse 6 and 7. And this is a, this is a most important point. Verse 6 and 7. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is no other vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. You can't spit and whistle over that verse. It is critical. It is crucial. Why would she go back to the preacher and talk to him, tell him what had happened? Was it because he didn't know what was going to happen? Absolutely not. He was the man of God. He knew before she knew what God was going to do. That's why he told her what to do. She reported to the prophet because she believed, listen, she believed that whatever the Lord blessed her with belonged to the Lord. And she didn't want to keep any of it for herself. She wanted to give it back to the Lord. Now understand the sequence here. She did all of these things and it worked out just as the prophet said it would. All of the vessels that she borrowed from friends and neighbors out of that one small jar of oil filled up all of those pots, all of those vessels full of oil. And she and her sons, I'm sure, sat down in amazement at what God was able to do through their obedience. Now what are we going to do? She did exactly what a person of faith would do. She gave it back to God. Why? Because it was God's. She didn't make the oil multiply. God made the oil multiply. So she was going to give back to God what God had given her. Well, that doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense because that's how faith operates in the life of a person of faith. God gave to Amram and Jochebed a son. His name was Moses. They gave to Amram, he gave to Amram and Jochebed a son. Rather than have him killed as Pharaoh ordered, they tried to keep the child hidden until they couldn't keep him hidden any longer because he continued to grow. And you know how kids are when they grow, they get noisy. So Jochebed made a little boat out of river reeds, put the baby in the boat, set it on the Nile near where Pharaoh's daughter went to bathe, knowing Pharaoh's daughter was going to find that boat 
and save that baby's life. She gave her son to the Lord knowing that he would provide for that child. Pharaoh's daughter found the basket, fell in love with the child, raised the child in the courts of Pharaoh, and years later witnessed this same child lead two and a half million Hebrew slaves out of Egypt. She gave her son to the Lord, and the Lord used that son to accomplish his purpose in bringing his people out of slavery and into freedom. Hannah was a childless woman who prayed the Lord would give her a son. She promised if the Lord answered her prayer, she would give that son back to the Lord to do with as he willed. He gave her a son. That son's name was Samuel. She gave that son back to the Lord, just as she promised she would do. She gave her son back to the Lord. And through that son, that one man, God was able to bring the nation of Israel back to faith in God. This nobody of a woman found herself and her children in a desperate situation. She went to the Lord with a burden and obeyed the instructions on what to do. When the Lord answered her need, she brought the oil back to God because it was His in the first place. And what did the Lord do? Look at verse 7. He said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Friends, <laughs> you can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. She gave her what she had. A little bit of oil. God blessed her with tons of oil. And then God said, go and sell it and you just live off the profit. Pay off your debt and live off the profit. You can never outgive God. When you live and when you give in faith. You obey the Lord in faith. He will reward your faith by meeting your needs. Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, and I close. My God shall supply all of your need. Do you believe that? Scripture says it, but do you believe it? My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and forever. Amen and amen. Stand with me, David. Lead us as we sing. Wow. Always wonderful encouragement. And as we give ourselves to the Lord this week, may we be all in and we give our hearts this morning as we sing. Just as I am.
Father, as we approach this new week, may we do as this woman of faith did. May we come to you first and foremost with everything that comes into our life, good or bad. We will come to you first. If it's good, we will come to you first and give you thanks and praise your name for the bounty that you bless us with before we ever go out and talk to anybody else about it. If it's bad, we'll come to you first and we'll seek your counsel before we ever go out and seek the counsel of others. May we do what this young mother did. When we hear from you, may we obey your voice. Even though what you may ask us to do is impossible for us to do, but that's the test of faith. We cannot do the impossible, but you can do the impossible in us and through us. With men it's impossible, but with you all things are possible. May we believe that. And Father, may we go realizing that faith is not a theological byword that we use from time to time. May we realize that faith has to be practical. We have to put feet to our prayers. We have to put faith to work in our lives if we are to benefit from it and if we are to bless others by it. So as we go to celebrate Mother's Day, as we go to be with family and friends, as we thank you for the women who have impacted our lives, may we thank you for them and may we thank them that they were instrumental in teaching us about you. Give us a day of celebration and joy. Until the next time we meet again, for this I ask in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you and have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.